Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom on our post spring game edition of the show. As everybody got the opportunity to watch Ohio State football in action in the public eye for the first time this year, as the Buckeyes returned to the shoe on Saturday for their spring game, wrapping up their slate of 15 spring practices and giving the general public its first look at the 2022 Ohio State football team. Always an exciting day, a fun day to watch some football. We got to see some actual uh, real live tackling this year, which had not been the case for the past few spring games. So that was good. Don't know that there was any one real big storyline that came out of this game. I think back to last year and you had the quarterback competition and that was kind of where everybody was focused. I, I don't think that you come out of this year's spring game with any one thing that really was the story of the game or the thing that completely changed our perception of Ohio state football for the year, but still plenty that we can take away. Yeah, and if there was going to be a storyline, it probably would have been what new things are we going to learn about this Jim Knowles defense for the first time? And while we did learn some things about that, and we'll get it, we'll get into that a little bit before the game, even after the game, Ryan Day and Jim Knowles were both saying pretty much that things were going to be pretty much vanilla, basic in terms of the defensive scheme and everything like that, relative to what they plan on unveiling later on once the fall rolls around. But I think Dan, as is usually the case with the spring game. We did see the emergence of some underclassmen who had some pretty standout performances, I would say, and and perhaps none more so than true freshman safety Kai Stokes, who I included in my piece highlighting the players that that we were going to keep a close eye on because he was, of course, the first freshman to lose his black stripe this spring. And then he was all over the field on Saturday, I think, unilaterally, really, with uh, members of the media, fans online and the, the coaching staff as well all thought that Kai Stokes had a flash out there on the field playing at that safety position, that, that adjuster safety position behind Ronnie Hickman. Yeah, I would agree. If you're saying that you know, he was the one guy that maybe stood out the most, I that would be my pick would be Kai Stokes. A lot of it having to do with the fact that he is a true freshman and this was our first time seeing him play in Ohio stadium and anything close to game action. And so naturally I think your eyes go a lot to those true freshmen. And I thought he looked excellent. I mean, he showed he had two really impressive pass breakups where he showed a lot of range. He was lining up in the middle of the field and on, you know, one of those pass breakups, he broke all the way to the sideline to knock a pass down. Just looked like somebody who has a really good feel for the game of football, a great, instincts, very quick to react to plays and somebody who is going to seek out making plays. I mean, I, the other thing that stood out beyond the path breakups was just, especially when rewatching the game is he's just somebody who when attacks downhill in the run game, when the ball starts coming his way, he's going to go seek out a tackle. He's not going to hang back and wait for a play to come to him. He's going to try to go make a play. And certainly I think with what Jim Knowles wants to do defensively, those are the kind of players that he wants players who are going to be aggressive, who are going to go make plays. And I think we saw that from a lot of different guys on Saturday, but not sure anyone stood out more so than Kai Stokes in the sense that this is a guy who's a true freshman. This is a guy who was one of the lowest rated recruits in Ohio State's 2022 class. And I think it's already becoming apparent that Ohio State may have landed a, a steal in terms of a recruiting rankings in Kai Stokes because Coming out of a spring, I don't think there's any question that if you're talking about which freshman has the most momentum right now, it's Kai Stokes. And staying in the Buckeye secondary, another underclassman guy that stood out to a lot of people was Jordan Hancock, of course, the second-year cornerback who continues to kind of look like maybe the third man in that that cornerback rotation behind, obviously, Denzel Burke, who asserted himself last year, and Cam Brown, who obviously came back as the veteran leader in that of that group. Jordan Hancock had kind of been bunched together with J.K. Johnson as two guys that were guys that could emerge, but he seems to be a little bit out ahead of in that pack now, I would say. Had two uh, PBUs in the spring game, had another, I believe, a really nice open field tackle on my, Mayan Williams in the backfield for a four-yard uh, loss, which was a good thing to see because, of course, Ohio State wanted to 
kind of test the the tackling fundamentals and things like that. That was good to see an open space from from him. And he's a guy that I think got kind of grouped together with Stokes in terms of, okay, the depth for the Ohio State secondary in some spots. While at safety, it continues to be a little bit of a, of a question. There are some guys that are emerging in, uh, among the, the defensive backs that look like they could step up for the Buckeyes, maybe not at the top of the depth chart, but right after that. Yeah, I agree with you. I think if we're talking about who, if it's a free cornerback rotation, whoever those free cornerbacks going to be, I think it's Denzel Burke, Cam Brown, and Jordan Hancock. Kalen Johnson might be knocking on the door, but I think Hancock has separated himself a little bit. I mean, we saw that at the Student Appreciation Day. Hancock was the guy running with the ones when Cam Brown wasn't out there. And then I just think with what we saw from him at of a spring game was just another really impressive performance, but his stock continues to rise. And so I think he is really making a strong case to get some playing time there. But I, I really, I liked what I saw just overall from the corners in this game. I thought Denzel Burke, he looked as good as ever, made a couple of really nice pass breakups. You know, Cam Brown didn't play that much as they have been kind of been cautious of him with the injuries he's had. I thought Jordan Hancock played really well. I, I thought JK Johnson looked well up there too. I think another guy who impressed me was Jair Brown. I thought Jair Brown made a couple of really nice tackles out in space, which is certainly something you want to see from a true freshman corner. And I, I thought that both he and Ryan Turner held their own in coverage as well, especially when you talk about the talent in that Ohio State wide receiver room. They were competitive throughout the game. You know, I think that's the thing. I mean, we talked about it going into it, that the Ohio State quarterbacks and receivers were going to make their plays. But this was not, honestly, I think if I just think about it as a whole, I mean, you can't really look at like the stats in this game because they were all playing for one team. But I think if you just look overall, like I think it was a good day for the secondary, a good day for the Ohio State pass defense. Because honestly, going in, I kind of thought that the quarterbacks and receivers were just going to toss it all over the field all day and it was it was going to be easy pickings for them. And it, it really wasn't. I mean, I think I think all three quarterbacks had their moments. But it was not like the quarterbacks and receivers were just feasting throughout the game. And so I, I think it was a really encouraging day for the Ohio State second, specifically some of those guys we just named. Another guy I want to name, too, is Andre Turrentine, who I, I thought also had a really good game. He played over 100 snaps out there at, at that bandit position. He basically played the entire game after Josh Proctor came out. And he was another guy I thought was really active on the back end, had nine tackles, had a pass breakup, another guy who looked like he belonged out there. So I think they're building some good depth in, in that secondary. And I think there's a lot of reasons to be encouraged about the growth that Ohio State seems to be having on the back end right now. Yeah, that's a good point you make, because I did put Marvin Harrison and Emeka Abuka on that list of players that we were going to be watching because they did have breakout performances a year ago as true freshmen in that game. And of course, with them being the first string guys in that game, I, you did kind of wonder how much are they going to play? Emeka Abuka, though, did get a lot of targets in that game. Marvin Harrison only had one catch for nine yards, I believe, in that game. I'm not sure how many snaps uh, he played, but then Abuka as well, four catches for 39 yards. I mean, G. Scott ended up being the, the leading receiver in terms of balls caught in that game, which was interesting to see. So, so some of those guys, the wide receivers, didn't have quite the explosive games that I think we probably thought they might. But one player that did have a, a standout performance in terms of offensive skill players was, of course, second-year running back Evan Pryor, who was doing it on the ground and through the air. He was one of the I thought one of the foremost standout players in the spring game as well, up there with Stokes. The final stats on prior nine carries for 62 yards. He had that, was it like a, was it a 22-yard touchdown run that he had at a certain point? He also caught four passes for 44 yards. Um, we, we've known about kind of his pass catching ability for a long time, but I think, and we saw that also in the, the student appreciation day practice, because I, I noted the, a couple of just really nice cuts that he had in that, that practice where it looked like he might get you know, stopped closer to the line of scrimmage, but making some extra yardage out of a play like that. I think we saw that again on Saturday and Ryan Day talked about it after the, the game too, that just the, the wiggle that Pryor brings to the mix there that maybe helps him stand out a little bit when you compare him to two other backs and Henderson and, and Mayan Williams, of course, that maybe have a little more of a, a stout build than Pryor. But I think you see what he brings to the table too, a little bit of a different dynamic. Yeah, certainly. I think that his, he is the best pass catcher out of that group. He's probably the shiftiest guy out of that group. And so I think, you know, that does make him an intriguing player. And I think now the question becomes, 
how will Ohio State incorporate him into the offense? Because they keep saying they're going to. So I believe if they will, it's just how much. I mean, what exactly does that role look like? Because I think we still expect that Travion Henderson is going to get the majority of carries at running back for Ohio State this year. And let's not ignore what Mayan Williams did in the spring game either. Mayan Williams ran for over 100 yards at 101 yards, including the longest play of the day on a 36-yard run. So I know one of the questions we got today from Silver Sniper was how much ground did Pryor make up for the number two running back spot after that impressive showing at the spring game? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I would say this. I, I don't think the spring game changed my depth chart projection at running back. I still think Mayan Williams is going to be the number two running back. He didn't do anything to lose that job. So uh, I, I still think Mayan Williams is the number two guy. And I still think Evan Pryor is the number three guy. I think what Evan Pryor did was make the case that he does belong on the field in some capacity and they need to find a way to utilize him. Cause I mean, if you just look at the depth chart there, I mean, I think you've got three guys who are all really talented running backs. And I think if you can figure out how to utilize all of them in different ways, you've got a free headed monster there. I mean, I think your running back unit could be fantastic. I think using all three of those guys, you can help keep Travion fresher for the stretch run and you can, attack defenses in different ways because they all have different skill sets. Travion is really the pure speed guy and Mayan is, is the bigger guy and Evan's kind of a smaller, shiftier guy. So I think you can use all three of them in different ways. And I think if if you play all of them, you're going to force defenses to have to prepare for a variety of different skill sets. And so I think Ohio State should be looking to get all of them on the field it's just a matter of how exactly they do that. But, you know, Evan Pryor said it himself. A lot of people have wondered, you know, how are they all going to get the ball? And he thinks they're all going to have good seasons. They're all going to complement each other. And so we'll see how that ultimately looks in practice. But I think it's something that Ohio State should be able to do. I think Ohio State should be able to find roles for all three of those guys. And if it can do so, it's just going to make the offense that much more dynamic. Yeah, we had written down some under-the-radar players who stood out, and I know you already mentioned several of those, Dan, but and not that Mayan Williams is all that under-the-radar in general, but I think his just his spring game performance in general was a little bit overshadowed because Evan Pryor's emergence was a little bit more of a revelation because he, did, he only carried the ball, I think, 21 times last year. But Mayan Williams, I mean, he, did, he had a 100-yard game in the spring game, 6.7 yards per carry on 15 attempts there. <clears throat> and, and he showed a lot, too, I think. I, I think if, if, if Mayan Williams was the, the first-string running back for Ohio State, like, I don't think they would have many problems. It's just the fact that they're kind of uh, blessed with the luxury of also having a Travion Henderson. And then also we're seeing the emergence of Evan Pryor as well there. But Dan, what about the spring game surprised you the most, maybe? Um, that, that's a question that Seattle Linga had for us. I don't know if anything jumps out as too much of a shock, but after kind of reevaluating things and watching it again, did anything stand out to you that, that maybe you didn't pick up on on first viewing? Yeah, I don't know if there was anything that was really a shock to me. I mean, to, to be honest, I mean, I think, I mean, probably the biggest surprise of the week was finding out they were actually going to tackle them a game. Like, that might be my honest answer is like finding out they were actually going to tackle because I didn't think they were going to do that. And that made uh, the game a lot more entertaining. I don't really think there was one you know, real like big surprise in my mind. I mean, I, I would say, I think there were just a lot of individual players who caught my eye and some guy, again, we, we talked about, it, it's kind of interesting. I, I look at, you know, what the other websites, right. And it's like, it kind of seems like everybody kind of group thinks, and it's like the same, like four or five players stood out. And like, I think there are like a group of four or five guys that belong in that group, but Kai Stokes, Evan Pryor, Jordan Hancock, JT Tuimoloau, Jack Sawyer. But when I was re-watching the game, I was also noticing other guys that like nobody really talked about how these guys did, but these guys also had really good games. I mean, Jair Brown, Andre Turntain were a couple of those guys. Noah Potter's another guy who I thought had a really good day up there. He was playing some defensive end, some defensive tackle, mostly defensive end, but he had a couple of sacks, was also making some good hustle plays in the run game. So that's a guy after missing all last year with a serious eye injury. That was an encouraging thing to see for him. Another guy who caught my eye was Jaden McKenzie. We really haven't seen him play much at all in his Ohio State career, but I thought he looked good. Uh, he was coming in. He was a third-team guy at the, the free technique position, and he, I thought he was pretty disruptive. He had a couple tackles for loss. I liked what I saw from him. On the offensive side of the ball, you talk about those receivers, but maybe the, the big day that maybe people wanted to see from a – 
Harrison or a Buka or uh, Jaden Bauer or someone like that. One guy who did catch my eye and he caught my eye at the student appreciation day practice too, was Xavier Johnson, the walk-on. And I don't know how many snaps you're going to project for a walk-on to get in this receiving core, but Ryan Day keeps bringing him up. I mean, he brought him up after the game on Saturday when he was talking about receiver depth and he named like four or five guys. And one of those guys was Xavier Johnson over some of the scholarship names that maybe people expect would be in there. So I'm intrigued to see, can he maybe get a few snaps in there? I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I think a walk-on is going to see a ton of snaps at receiver, but I do remember that he's a guy who did have scholarship offers that he turned down to play at Ohio State. He's played a ton of snaps on special teams for the last couple of years. He's a guy that they really like. And just to see a guy like that, like be out there and like look like he belongs out there. It's like, don't don't completely write this guy off just because he's a walk on. He's a guy that has some talent that I think they like. And again, he's is he going to beat out Omeka Buka for a starting job? Probably not. But, you know, is he a guy that could potentially provide depth? And if they need him step in and, and actually play and contribute, he seems to from what we've seen from him, he seems to have the talent where, you know, if they need him, he could give them some decent player receiver. Yeah, and I don't know if this is all that shocking or surprising because we did hear Ryan Day say before the spring game that Josh Proctor would be out there for the some of the, the non-tackling portion early on. But I think it's certainly comparing it to the first spring practice that we saw and hearing that Josh Proctor wouldn't be full go at any point during the spring. Just the fact that he actually started the game out there at safety. He was credited with four total tackles and a, and a pass breakup as well in that bandit safety role for the Buckeyes. Of course, wasn't involved in tackling, but I think that's got to be something of a positive sign for the Buckeyes that he's at least going through the paces there and that that at the top of the depth chart. Also, though, I think it's also, you know, maybe a sign that a couple of guys are still injured at the safety position because Court Williams might have been the, the starter there as well. And you might not have had to have a guy like Proctor in that situation as a guy that wasn't full go. If Court Williams was out there, he obviously didn't play in the spring game either. So those were just some other kind of observations and and surprises there for me as we kind of look at at that uh, category. Yeah, I think another thing that will catch the eye of people is that the tight ends caught 12 passes in the spring game out of the 39 passes that were completed. 12 of them were two tight ends. You mentioned G. Scott. He had the most catches of any player, five for 40. Joe Royer had two for 37. Patrick Gerd and Bennett Christian also each had two catches. Sam Hart had one catch. I don't know that we should read a lot into that in terms of how much the tight end is going to get the ball during the regular season, because a spring game is very different than a regular game. And so I'm not going to sit here and say, well, because the tight ends cut all these passes, clearly this is finally the year that Ohio State's going to start using the tight ends a lot in the passing game. I don't really anticipate it will be the case because it never seems to be the case. But I think the one thing that did stand out to me about the tight ends is I mean, for one, like G, I would say, is a guy who exceeded my expectations in the spring game because he kind of got the vibe, like especially a couple of weeks ago, you go to student appreciation day practice, you're not there. Like, honestly, I was starting to get the vibe like, I don't know what's going to happen here with G Scott. Like you, you just started to to wonder like, OK, this is a guy he's going into his third year. He still doesn't seem to be climbing the depth chart. And you start to wonder, OK, what, where are things headed for G. Scott at Ohio State? And he was out there. He was getting reps at the first team offense. He looked good. He not only catching the ball, but I thought he looked good blocking, too. You can see that he's gotten bigger. He's gotten stronger. And I thought he was impressive. And so. That's one of those positions I'm going to do a depth chart projection uh, for the site at some point this week. And that's one of the positions that's like really hard for me to project right now, because I think we've talked about tight end as a potential weakness in, in the sense that I don't think they have a do everything kind of guy at that position. I think I don't think there's going to be a tight end on the roster this year who's as well-rounded as Jeremy Rucker was, but I think they've got some options at that position. I mean, I I think there's four guys who are going to legitimately play at that position. And that being Cade Stover, G Scott, Joe Royer, Mitch Rossi. And I generally don't know like how the snaps between them are going to be divided. Like I tend to believe Stover is going to get the most snaps because I think he's the best inline blocker, but I'm interested to see how do they, utilize those guys 
during the regular season. Cause I do think you can see it with both Royer and Scott. They are guys who have the potential to be dynamic weapons in the passing game. If Ohio state utilizes them in that way. Yeah, for sure. And that's why my, my takeaway from that too, was just that everyone kind of wondering what G Scott's role would be. And I think if you saw him go out there and not play very much in the spring game, not have a catch or anything that, that those, that, uh, that narrative would kind of have continued through the off season. So for his sake, having him be being the, the leading uh, receiver in terms of receptions in the spring game was probably a positive thing. Joe Royer also that catch he had on that, what 26 yard pass from Kyle McCord early in the game. That was one of the better plays made all game on offense. I thought <clears throat> a really nice snag from Royer who had to go up and, and grab a ball, high point a ball there. But yeah, other than that, I mean, I think it's, I think, like you said, it's going to be a kind of a by committee thing at tight end. I think, like you said, not one guy isn't the perfect complete tight end. And that's why I think Kevin Wilson all keeps saying G Scott needs to put on more weight. Joe Royer also isn't the, the hugest guy at that position either in terms of Cade Stover's a little bit sturdier, like you talked about. But yeah, tight ends, I think there, there were positive takeaways for sure out of that group. And I put them in the you know stock up category for kind of the depth there, just because of what you said, G Scott's blocking ability as well. But Dan, let, let's move over to the offensive line where some of those tight ends obviously are going to be lining up next to uh, the season. That, that's besides a uh, safety on defense, offensive line depth has been the other kind of concern that Brian Day has mentioned here several times. We've said he likes the starting group there the starting five. We all know who those guys are right now, but beyond that depth has seemed a little bit weak, especially when you look at what the defensive line was able to do against some of those backup offensive linemen. But I know also you were talking, we were talking in our, you know, work slack at 11 warriors about a uh, Paris Johnson, maybe not looking like quite you know, the, the fully polished product right now at left tackle as we, we maybe thought he might be. And honestly, I thought it was kind of interesting just hearing in the middle of spring that Dewan Jones said that, the Paris Johnson's transition back to tackle had started slow. I mean, that's just not something that, you know, I would expect to hear from any of the uh, someone's teammates at Ohio State. So I thought that was maybe kind of an eyebrow raising comment. And, and I don't know if you thought that that looked to be the case when you uh, reevaluated his film there from the spring game too. Yeah. I mean, after I rewatched and watched every play, I think my opinion of Paris Johnson's game was more favorable than it was watching it initially, but you know, he definitely did have a few rough moments there. There were a few times where, you know, he just straight up got beat by JT Tuimolowau and Jack Sawyer. And some of that has to do with the guys he was going against. I mean, I think both of those guys were among the stars of Saturday's spring game. Those are two guys that I think have just continued to build momentum this spring and who in my mind, even with Zach Harrison coming back, might be the two starting defensive ends for his team because I think they've both built up that kind of momentum where I think they're making a strong case to be the defensive ends who, who play the most snaps for Ohio state this year. But I think in, in terms of the offensive line, I, I think it's pretty clear just from listening to Ryan day talk that the offensive line is his biggest concern with his team right now. I, I think mostly from a depth perspective, I do think that starting offensive line will be solid. When I see someone like Paris having some rough moments in the spring game, I think that kind of makes me pause a little bit and like, let's pump the brakes before we start going like, oh, the, the starting offensive line should be one of the best in the country. Because I feel like we say that every year and it hasn't always been the case. So I think they have the talent, the potential to have one of the best offensive lines in the country. I'm not quite sure, but I, I'm going to predict that they are going to be yet. I think we've still got to we still got to see about some of those guys on that offensive line. I think the talent's there for that starting five. But I think the depth behind them is a very real concern. And we'll see, do they maybe, if a right guy ends up in the transfer portal, do they maybe look for a guy to supplant that depth? I don't think they're going to be looking for somebody to replace a starter from the transfer portal. So that would probably limit uh, the options that you're going to have in terms of people who would actually want to transfer to Ohio State. But I, I do think that's a very real concern and just that Ryan Day has. I mean, to me, you mentioned safety. I mean, to me, offensive line is a much bigger concern than safety right now. I mean, safe, I think safety is more of a concern in the sense that they only had six available safeties really for the spring game. So I, I think it, it was a problem for the spring, but I think if you get guys back healthy, you're going to be fine at safety. Because I think you know, the, the top end talent is definitely there. I think the concern is... They just didn't have that many available bodies for this spray. I mean, you had guys like, you know, Josh Proctor still coming back. Court Williams is hurt. Marcus Hooker's hurt. You know, Jansen Dunn's hurt. Jalen Johnson's hurt. 
Leif and Ransom's hurt. So basically half of their scholarship safety roster was hurt this spring. And so I think that was the problem there at safety. But I think as long as they can get some of those guys back, they're, they're going to ultimately be okay at safety in my mind. I think in terms of the offensive line, you, you could probably say the same thing about the offensive line in terms of guys like Josh Fryer and Zen Mahalski, Ben Chrisman, Trey LaRue, who were out this spring. But, you know, I think the, the thing is you really wanted to see more from those guys this spring. And by them not being on the field, I think that leaves more questions about how much those guys are actually capable of. So they have a couple backups that they trust to some degree right now. And Enoch Famahi and Jacob James. But I, I think going into preseason camp, that's going to be a big emphasis is continuing to develop that offensive line depth. Because I think we saw last year, they had more guys they thought were starters than they had starting spots. And so they were rotating Matt Jones in there. That's not the case right now. I think right now, if one of those starting five were to go down, I, I think Ohio State would be concerned about whether that next man up is going to be at the level they need him to be at. And we touched on this at the top of the show, but we'd be remiss not to go a little bit more in depth about the quarterback play and, and particularly the backup quarterbacks, because of course we all know what CJ Stroud brings to the table at this point as a returning Heisman finalist this season and a favorite for that award going into the 2022 season. But Kyle McCord, and Devin Brown, of course, it wasn't going to be the, the top billing like it, it might be in next year's spring game. But Dan, what did you kind of make of their performances? I'll run down the, the stats here for both guys. Kyle McCord was the most accurate quarterback on the day in terms of completion percentage. He was 14 for 20, 70% there, 129 yards and a touchdown. Devin Brown went 11 for 24, so he didn't quite hit the, the 50% mark there. 141 yards, one touchdown, and one pick. So McCord, you could definitely say, was a little bit more consistent on the day. But what did you make of, of their performances, Dan, as they duke it out for the backup quarterback position this uh, offseason? Yeah, I thought they were fine. I think McCord was more consistent than Brown. I think my, my prediction in our last call was that Kyle McCord would remind us why he was a five-star quarterback. I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to go that far in his performance. I thought he performed well. I don't know that he stood out. I think he probably stood out to me more last year, but I was also probably watching him more closely last year because he was actually competing for a starting job. So, you know, I think he was good. You know, I think I thought that throw to Joe Royer that you mentioned before was a really nice pro. I did think that one thing I noticed with Kyle is I thought he looked really good running some play action stuff, stepping up in the pocket, moving his feet. I, 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 did, I thought we saw more of that in the spring game from him than we had seen in the times we got to see him play last fall. So those were, I thought that was an encouraging sign for Kyle. For Devin, I thought Devin looked like a freshman. I mean, Devin had a couple of really nice throws. I mean, he probably had the most impressive throw of a day in my mind with uh, the touchdown pass he had to Reese Stocksdale. That was a, a really a perfect throw to the left side of the end zone for, I think, a 19-yard touchdown, I believe. Uh, that was a nice throw, but he also had some erratic moments. There were, some of his throws were not on target. He also had the only interception of the day. So to me, I, I thought with Devin Brown, I thought you could see, you could, at times you could certainly see the potential. I mean, I think one thing that stood out and I know Joshua Perry was talking about a lot of a broadcast was he is the most athletic of those three quarterbacks. He, he is the, he moves the best of those guys. And I think you could see that at times when he was escaping the pocket, taken off of a ball and should also give both of those guys the, the benefit to it. The fact that they were none of it. Neither of them were playing with the first team offensive line. So we just talked about that offensive line depth. Both of those guys were playing behind the backups on the offensive line. So I think that limited both of their ability to really show out in this game because they were getting pressured a lot. The defensive line was beaten up on those backup offensive linemen for the most part. And so those guys were, were getting pressured a lot. They weren't getting tackled because they are wearing the black non-contact jerseys, but they did not have the benefit of a starting offensive line in front of them. So that was something they had to deal with. And I actually thought both of them handled the pressure. Well, I thought both of them did a good job of escaping out of a pocket, throwing the ball away when they should have, I thought they did a good job with that. And I'm sure those are things that Ryan day is encouraged to see, but I think with Brown in particular, he went just 11 of 24. I think you want to see more consistency. I think some of his passes just were off the mark, but Again, you expect that from a freshman. I think what I would really say is I don't think there's really anything you should take away from either of those 
performances and make a generalization about what Kyle McCord or Devin Brown is going to be in the future. I think a year from now, we are absolutely going to be over analyzing every throw we see from Kyle McCord and Devin Brown when they're competing for the starting job. But right now, I don't think there's really any reason to do that. Defensively, we talked about it already that, that Ryan Day and, and Jim Knowles, uh, I know Knowles basically said that the Ohio State didn't really do anything defensively in terms of his scheme and whatnot. But our, our Kyle Jones at 11 Warriors just did a, a whole film study and, and breaking down the, even if Knowles and Day don't think that they really did much in that spring game defensively, they still showed that it's a, a more of a versatile defense and, and will feature a lot more variety than last year's did. Dan, when you're watching the, the game at re- repeated times now, did you pick up on some things maybe that that Buckeye defense is doing that, that surprised you or showed looks that were different than last year or anything that, that caught your attention there? Yeah, I mean, personally, I think I learned more just from attending the coaches clinic last week. We were at the coaches clinic on Thursday and Friday and, and watching Jim Knowles' presentation there, watching some of the clips that the defensive coaches were showing at that. You could definitely see from those uh, presentations that this defense is going to do a lot of different things this year. And we're not really supposed to video those presentations. So I don't have like video to show people of, of what those exactly look like, but just seeing them, witnessing them being there, you could see that they're going to do a lot of different things on defense this year. There's going to be a lot of different looks. It's not going to be like last year where they're rolling out the same formations every play and uh, opponents know what they're going to do. I think there's going to be a lot of different looks and not just a lot of different looks, but a lot of different things they can do out of the same looks. Jim Knowles talked repeatedly about how we don't want opponents to be able to read what we're doing. We want to be able to keep you guessing and they want to play offense on defense is what he's saying. He doesn't want the offense to, to look at what Ohio state's defense is doing and react to that. He wants Ohio state's defense to react to what the offense is doing. And so I I think the, I I think the defense is going to try to confuse opponents. It's going to be aggressive and it's going to, it's going to, try to win that war of game planning and play calling that quite frankly, we saw Ohio state's defense lose a lot last year. I think Jim Knowles's goal is to change that in a big way. And we will see how it ultimately looks when the season starts. But I think that Ohio state's defense is, it, it's going to want to, it's going to want to set the tone and it, it's, it certainly is not going to want offenses to be able to identify the weakness and continue to attack it the way that offenses did last year. And it seemed like last year when the offense figured something else, something out about how to attack Ohio state's defense, Ohio state kind of just threw its hands up and said, well, this is what we do. Whereas I think Jim Knowles realizes we, we have to do things schematically to put our players in the best positions to succeed. And, you know, we didn't see a ton of variety in the spring game. Still, if you read the piece Kyle Jones wrote for 11 Warriors, he identified a lot of different things they were doing. He can explain it a lot better than I can. So I'll just tell you to just go read the piece on 11 Warriors. But I think you can certainly see just from what we've seen so far, this defense is going to do a lot of different things. There's a lot of wrinkles we haven't seen yet, but this is going to be a defense that's going to be a lot more multiple and, and is going to give opponents a, a lot of a lot more different looks to have to deal with than Ohio State's defense was for the past couple of years. I know we already said that we didn't necessarily come away with any earth-shattering takeaways in terms of a, a grand look at things here with the Ohio State roster overall. But you know, as we kind of zoom out here and look about look at what we think we really took away from the game. Did, did you come out of the spring game, Dan, feeling any change about how you kind of thought about either side of the ball going into it in terms of do you feel now like you've seen a defense that can help Ohio State get into a national title contention this year in a manner that they weren't at the end of last season? Or do you feel any differently about the offense either in terms of does the offense look like it can still be a group that's going to be one of the top in the country? Or, or any slippage there? Do you feel like anything's changed in terms of how you thought about either side going into the game? 
Not really. <laughs> I mean, it's a spring game, so I can't say that I'm making any generalizations about, oh man, this offense is going to be great. Or, or, I mean, I already thought the offense was going to be great. I still think the offense is going to be great. So I, I don't think that really changed. You know, I think, like I said, I think the thing that did I did find promising was just to see defenders, a lot of different individual defenders making plays. Like, I mean, one thing that stood out to me was just watching the DBs getting hands on passes, looking back for the ball, making plays on the ball. I, I, you could see that consistently on Saturday in a way that I don't think we consistently saw a year ago. So I think that's just like one thing that stood out to me was you just see like more playmaking in the secondary guys getting their hands on passes and being aggressive, making a concerted effort to make plays. And then not just making that effort, but actually being in position to make those plays against some talented receivers. I think for Frank, for the defensive line, it was a good day building on what we've seen from a good spring. So I think you look at the front and the back end of that defense right now. And I think I, I look at those two areas and I say, the, these give me reason to believe this defense is going to be better this year. I think the linebackers probably still left something to be desired in the spring game. Uh, I think Tommy Eichenberg had a good game. He led Ohio State with 10 tackles, but you know there, there were a decent amount of missed tackles just watching the game from the linebackers as a whole. Not one guy in particular who stood out in that area, just kind of overall some missed tackles from that group. So I still think that's an area where and that, that's another position. It's kind of like tight end on offense. That's another position where I still have a really hard time figuring out the depth chart. Like I think Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers are probably the starters, but behind them, I'm just not sure how it's going to stack up right now. I think there's you know, six or seven guys who could legitimately be in that competition for playing time. And I just don't know kind of who those next guys up are going to be right now who those guys are going to be that they can count on to make plays. I think a lot of that is still to be determined in preseason camp. One of the biggest themes of the entire event in general was attributing and paying homage to the the life of Dwayne Haskins, of course, who tragically passed away very recently at age 24. There was that the DH placed on painted onto the seven yard line, of course, to commemorate, you know, the number seven that Dwayne Haskins wore. Also CJ Stroud actually wore the Dwayne Haskins jersey, they both wear number seven, of course, for Ohio State. Uh, he scored a touchdown, his only touchdown of the game in that Haskins jersey as well. The, the Buckeyes were also wearing a, a DH decal on the back of their helmets. There was a moment of silence before the game. Then at halftime, they, there was a, a video package played where the, the whole team went out onto the field. Uh, Cam, Cam Babb led a prayer afterwards and at midfield. That was an emotional moment, especially seeing some of the pictures of those guys' uh, faces and everything like that afterwards, I thought was, was pretty poignant. And I think the entire thing was, was pretty powerful. And I think a, a very good usage of that platform for Ohio State to kind of really highlight what Dwayne Haskins did and his legacy. And especially with the, some of the comments we heard from Ryan Day and CJ Stroud and others afterwards. Yeah. I mean, I try not to get too caught up in the emotions of a moment when I'm there in the press box, but you know, that, that hit me, but watching that team prayer, after the video and and really, I mean, the, the fact that you had 60,000, an estimated 60,000 people in the stadium, and it was silent when Cam Babb was given that prayer to the team. That was just a very powerful scene, a poignant moment of reflection for everybody on Dwayne Haskins. So I thought the tribute there was very well done, very powerful that the entire team stayed out there to watch that video and, and take him a moment. And you could tell it mattered to them that moment to be able to pay trip to Dwayne. So I thought that was an awesome moment. Definitely one of the things, if not the thing I will remember most from this year's spring game, as well as CJ Stroud's great tribute of wearing Dwayne's Jersey for the first series. And as he said it, giving Dwayne one last moment in the shoe as he was able to throw a touchdown to Jackson Smith and Jig on that series while he was wearing the Jersey and, and CJ's words calling it Dwayne's final touchdown as a Buckeye. So I thought of those, everything they did, I thought it was really well done how they paid tribute uh, to Dwayne Haskins and certainly uh, a great thing that they did that. Before the spring game, of course, we got to spend some time at the coaches clinic, like you alluded to before. It was my first time ever getting to do something like that because of course in 2020, that was a wash that they didn't have one of those then, or at least not, they didn't have one of those at all, right? And not, not, not in the COVID season, right, Dan? No, this is this was the first one in three years because they didn't do one last year 
and and then everything was canceled in 2020. So uh, this was the first one since 2019. Yeah. So I mean, it was a first first time for me, and just to see how all the the assistant coaches kind of operated there with breaking down some X's and O's in front of the high school coaches and everything like that. I think it was all pretty cool and worthwhile in terms of seeing how those guys kind of break things down. Um, what were some of your uh, biggest takeaways or anything that stood out to you about that event, Dan, given that it was our you know first time doing something like that in a few years? Yeah. I mean, it was just great to you know have the opportunity to get to you know see the coaches in that setting again, like you said, our first time in three years. So, I mean, it would have been a lot of new things anyway, because half the staff is new from last year, but, you know, getting to see all of them present in that setting, I mean, or coaches like Kerry Combs, we never got to see him in that setting because they didn't have a clinic for the two years that he was on staff, but, you know, getting to see particularly those new coaches, you know, I, I spent time watching Jim Knowles' presentation and Perry Eliano and Tim Walton, and just getting to see them present in that setting for the first time. I had actually hoped to go to a clinic a couple months ago where Jim Knowles was presenting and we ended up getting a massive snowstorm in Columbus that night. And so I was unable uh, to go. And so finally getting to see him present and kind of get a behind the scenes look at how he coaches his 4-2-5 defense. I thought that was very uh, insightful. Again, one of those things that can be a little bit hard to translate for a podcast, kind of one of those things. Most of it was him talking about video clips he was showing on the screen. So you you kind of have to be there to get the full uh, scope of it. But again, it just kind of gave me a you know better feel for what Ohio State's going to do on defense this year and a better feel for how you know those guys coach their players. And I mean, it, it just strikes you with Jim Knowles. I mean, this is a guy who's very smart. You just get the feel. He knows what he's doing. He's very smart. You tell you got a lot of knowledge, but at the same time is able to explain it in a way that makes sense. And I, I can see how he can break down these complex things he's teaching into simpler ways for his players, which is so important because you can be real smart and know a lot about football, but if you can't get it across to the players in a way that will resonate with them, it's not going to matter. And so I got that vibe from Jim Knowles watching him, from Tim Walton watching him. I mean, one of the things he talked about a lot was how this stuff translates to the NFL. And I think that's something when you're coaching players at Ohio State, they all want to get to the NFL. So if, if you can show them how things translate to the NFL where he used to coach, I think that's going to make them pay attention. And I, again, I think we saw remnants of that on Saturday, just the way guys were looking back to the ball, making plays on the ball. It, it seemed like Tim Walton's teaching was already coming through to those guys from what we saw in the spring game. And I was mostly focused on the newer coaches, but I know for Griffin, for you, it being your first time at one of these coaching clinics ever, you, I think you watched some of the coaches who have been around longer. And I think there was one in particular that really resonated with you that made you want to go sign up and join his unit right now? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I had to decide between it was basically like Kevin Wilson with the like movement throws, which I thought could have been an interesting subject matter. But Kevin Wilson sometimes ha has a tendency, Dan, to ramble a little bit when he's, you know, talking, of course, a, a great coach and everything like that. But I, I, I thought Larry Johnson and in the defensive line stuff, I better take my opportunity now, especially if this ends up being Larry Johnson's last season and everything like that with Ohio State. I better go into that defensive line room and, and see what Larry Johnson is like as a coach there, kind of behind the scenes. And it did not disappoint at all, Dan, because he was really the, the only coach that, that I saw that was almost approaching it like he was talking to his own players with the high school coaches that were in the room learning things from him. And he played a couple of like motivational videos that, that I think they show the team quite often. And he was fired up in that room, man. I'll tell you, he was loud. He was uh, interactive with people. And he, I had a new lease on life coming out of that because he was, he had me ready to be great in any walk of life. He really uh, blew me away. I think more so than anybody else. And I, I had the chills at multiple times during his, his presentation. So that was a lot of fun. And I'm very glad I took the opportunity to do that because who knows, that might be my last time to have ever experienced being in the actual Rushman sanctuary there with Larry Johnson, which is pretty neat. 
I'm not sure if that's what anybody wants to hear, but it might be the last opportunity, but we'll see on that. We'll see on that. I mean, he did sign only a one-year contract this year. There have been retirement rumors. So we'll see what ultimately ends up happening with Larry Johnson after this year, but he's around this year. That's good news for Ohio State, certainly to have him around for at least one more year. I know that you also watched uh, Justin Fry speak and, and Brian Hartline speak. Was there anything that stood out to you just from watching those guys? Yeah, well, I will, I will say this wasn't even part of Brian Hartline's actual breakout presentation on that, that Friday, but it was the actually his Thursday kind of chalk talk part, which was kind of at the end of the night on Thursday. He was getting real colorful with the language. I, I know you experienced some of that as well, Dan, and just it was a lot of fun listen, hearing him kind of espouse some of his general thoughts and philosophies on coaching, which involved a lot of swear words, definitely a lot more so than any of the other coaches I experienced. And that was one of the highlights of the entire event for me as well. Yeah, every time I've seen one Brian Hartline speak at one of those clinics, the one thing you can say about Brian Hartline is he does not lack energy. Uh, he is he constantly brings energy, and you can see why his players connect with him because he's just he's got a lot of energy. He's very real in the way he talks. He he's very honest in in the way he talks, and I think that is something that con- connects with his players. And it was kind of funny. I, I know Colin. I think it was Colin Gay from Rivals tweeted out what he had on his board during his chalk talk, and it just said. One, get open to catch the ball. So if you're looking for the secrets uh, to why Ohio State's wide receiver room has been so successful, just get open and catch the ball. Keep it simple. Keep it. That was another thing. I liked uh, just hearing from Bob Stoops as well. There was a lot of stuff to be gleaned about just like leadership in general, I thought, from something like that. A lot of it was about X's and O's, but just kind of streamlining your messaging and things like that, not confusing players with too many conflicting messages and stuff like that. I thought a lot of that stuff was interesting as well to hear from guys that have been leaders at kind of the highest level in a certain regard in the sport, at least. Yeah. Bob Stoops was there. Zach Taylor was there. And then had to be the quote of the event from Dick LeBeau, who was there, who said he left three of his teeth in Ohio Stadium. And he said, I'd give the rest of them for just one more play. So that's a guy who spent 59 years in the NFL as a player and coach. He's 84 years old right now. It's been, uh, what I mean over over 50 years I guess over over 60 years if I do the math correctly since he played at Ohio State and he still longs for one more play in Ohio Stadium so that's a guy who's an NFL legend and still a Buckeye through and through so it was really fun to uh, get to hear him speak and get to hear some of those other coaches speak as well one of the big storylines that you know is going to be popping up, I think, more and more here in the next couple of weeks is the transfer portal because May 1 is the deadline for Ohio, for any players at any school for college football to enter the portal and still be eligible to play this year. They don't have to pick a team by May 1, but they have to enter the portal by May 1 to be eligible to transfer to another team this year. And so we've already seen one post-spring game transfer for Ohio State, that being Jacoby Cowan entering the transfer portal. I don't think I, I can say that I'm surprised there. Jacoby's a guy who unfortunately had a couple of injuries in his time at Ohio State, he missed his entire freshman year. That, that kind of set him back in his efforts to earn a spot on the defensive line. And then he was injured again this spring. And so he just didn't really ever have the opportunity to really gain a foothold on that defensive line depth chart. And I think if you looked at the defensive line depth chart going into this year, it was going to be hard for him to earn a role this year. And so probably the right decision for him to move on from Ohio State at this point and go somewhere else where he will have a better opportunity to earn a role this year and in the next couple of years. And there's going to be, there's going to be more of that. There's good. There's going to be, you would think at least a couple more transfers here that pop up over the next couple of weeks. Cause Ohio state right now still at 87 scholarships. That's two over the 85 man limit. And they're considering at least one player who's currently in the transfer portal to potentially come to Ohio state still. And I can't say until I heard about this a few days ago, but it's a position I would have expected Ohio State would pursue in the transfer portal. But Ohio State has been recruiting Parker Lewis, who's a kicker, 
from USC. And I talked to Parker on Monday and you can read the story on 11 Warriors about his interest in Ohio State and, and their interest in him. And I think the main reason that Ohio State is interested in him is because uh, he's very good at kickoffs. And as good as Noah Ruggles was last year on field goals, he was not great on kickoffs. I think he only had about 21% of his kickoffs go for touchbacks. Parker Lewis had almost 80% of his kickoffs go for touchbacks. And so uh, I think if he was to come in, he would be a kickoff guy for this year uh, and he'd be an upgrade in that role. He did say that though, that if, if he were to come to Ohio state, he would do so because he would believe he'd have a chance to challenge for the job. He said that Ohio state has told him he would get the chance to compete for that job. If they're not going to play favorites, but if they brought him in, they'd give him that chance to compete. Now, do I think anyone's going to beat out Noah Ruggles for the field goal kicking job this year, considering Noah Ruggles missed only one field goal last year? Probably not. But it is an interesting situation right now with the fact that Noah Ruggles was not at Ohio State for spring practice. And everybody in the program has said he was just taking a semester off. He's a grad student. He didn't really, he doesn't really need to be you know, pursuing a degree right now. And so he was basically just taking the semester off. And he'll be back this summer and, and back with the team this fall. And everything I've heard, that is the expectation from Ohio State that Noah Ruggles will be back. But an interesting situation there, considering Ohio State already has two kickers on scholarship and Noah Ruggles and Jake Seibert and is now at least considering the possibility of adding a third. Yeah, I feel like Ohio State's almost being like, all right, no, like no ruggles. Don't take it too easy this semester. Now the, the, the pressure isn't totally off. You, you still might have to beat out a guy coming in that could potentially at least do one aspect of, of his job potentially better than him in terms of the kickoff stuff. So that all was very interesting to read, Dan. Good, good on you for landing that interview. Another transfer portal situation for Ohio State, an outgoing player, of course, Seven Banks have been in the transfer portal for quite a while. We just learned on Tuesday, he's actually headed to LSU which I think is interesting because a lot of times a guy transferring out of Ohio State in terms of playing time situation might be looking for, might go to a a slightly lower profile program somewhere that they can, you know, easily compete for for more playing time. But going right into the SEC, I mean, Seven Banks is going to have a chance to show that he is ready to take on a role in the NFL or something like that if he can have the type of successful end of his college career that he wants to have. The last guy who transferred from Ohio State to LSU did pretty well for himself. So I don't know that I see Seven Banks winning the Heisman and being the number one overall NFL traffic. I mean, hey, there were people saying he could be the number one overall pick a year ago. So I guess you never know. But yeah, it'll be an interesting spot for him. If you look at LSU's roster, LSU lost its top four cornerbacks from last year, but has now brought in four cornerbacks through the transfer portal. So going to be an interesting competition he's walking into there. It's really a a cornerback room that's almost entirely made up of transfers. The other guys they've brought in are good too. They actually brought in a guy, Jarek Bernard, who was coached by Jim Knowles at Oklahoma. So he's probably going to be one of their starters. They have another guy, Makai Garner, who is a really good corner at the University of Louisiana. They also have a guy, Greg Brooks, who came over from Arkansas. So they've got some talent in that room. He's not going to be walking in for a guaranteed starting spot. He's going to have to compete uh, to earn a starting job there, but obviously you know, he's going into for confidence that you know he can do that and he's going to have that opportunity there. Obviously, wanted to play for a top program where he feels like he's still going to have a chance to compete for championships like he did at o- Ohio State, and we'll see how it works out for him. I think it's one of those where, in, in terms of Ohio State, I mean, we talked about Jordan Hancock and the way he's come along earlier. I mean, I think for Ohio State, I, I think they were ready to move on from Seven Banks. I think they feel good about what they have in the cornerback room. And so I don't think this is a huge loss for Ohio State, but that doesn't mean that Seven Banks might not go somewhere else and and play well. And I'm sure if he does, but, you know, just like we saw with Joe Burrow, just like we saw with with JMO, if he does go somewhere else and play well, then people are going to wonder, you know, what the heck happened at Ohio State. But, you know, I think ultimately move that's probably better uh, for all parties and we'll see how seven does there. More recruiting news this week as well, because Ohio State landed two post spring game commitments over the weekend on, on Sunday. Of course, wide receiver Bryson Rogers and a cornerback in Dijon Johnson, both guys from the Tampa area and uh, probably not a coincidence with the fellow Tampa native Kai Stokes showing out in the spring game there and Ohio State's kind of a Florida recruiting push 
continues here, Dan. Any, anything that the listeners should know about these two latest commitments? Yeah, you stole my line there with Kai Stokes there. I was going to mention that they had they took an Instagram photo with Kai on Saturday night and on Sunday they had both committed. So that was kind of interesting to see there. But I imagine seeing Kai, somebody they already knew from growing up in the, the Tampa area together, have such a big game and, and they decided to go ahead and, and follow in his footsteps right away. So certainly I think if, if they needed something to put them over the top on their decision to become Buckeyes, seeing what Kai Stokes did there certainly helped make that happen. Yeah. I mean, Ohio State's being very aggressive in Florida right now. They've actually got as many Florida players committed as they do Ohio players in the 2023 class right now with four each. And they've got several other guys they're pushing for hard there in, in Florida. I know two of those guys, Richard Young and Carnell Tate, maybe are starting to trend away from Ohio State a little bit. I mean, I think Ohio State's uh, still going to keep going after those guys. But, you know, there is some talk that you know, maybe Carnell Tate's trending toward Tennessee, maybe Richard Young's trending toward Alabama. So we'll see how those recruitments play out. But, you know, Brandon Innes is another guy from Florida that Ohio State's going after really hard. Cedric Baxter is another running back. But if they don't get Richard Young, maybe Baxter becomes their guy that they look to pair with uh, fellow Floridian Mark Fletcher at running back. There's some defensive guys, defensive backs that they're looking at from Florida as well. So it seems like right now, like the two states that Ohio State is hitting really hard in recruiting are Florida and Georgia. And at least in Florida, they're off to a really good start in this 2023 class of building, building up that class by getting some high quality talent from the Sunshine State. Another member of Chris Holtman's basketball program at Ohio State has hit the transfer portal now as well, because Michi Johnson is going to be headed elsewhere, Dan. Another guard Ohio State's going to be losing as the roster continues to kind of turn over here this offseason, making things pretty interesting with the ebbs and flows of the transfer portal and things of that nature. I'm not all, I can't say I'm all that shocked to see Michi Johnson leaving just because the fit never seemed quite right this season. Of course, you know, he could have continued to develop and, and ended up having a, a nice career at Ohio State. But if you just look at this past season, you know, he was he never really played a true point guard position, and which made him kind of an undersized two guard there that didn't do a whole lot of scoring for the Buckeyes, averaged something like four points a game as a guy that you know did play a lot of minutes in many games and did start several games for the Buckeyes as well. He did hit occasionally hit some big threes, but really it was like that that one Xavier game, the first true road game of the season, where he had uh, double digit points. Looked like he might be a legitimate scoring option for Ohio State or somebody that could blossom into that. But he never really did after that. He he had injury situations he fought through as well. But with all those things considered, his kind of lack of productivity overall, I wasn't that shocked to see him go. But I think that does kind of tell us that Ohio State is. And as we've seen from kind of who Ohio State is targeting here in the transfer portal is still looking for maybe a big time guard to kind of fill some of the gap there from what Ohio State is going to be losing this offseason. Well, they've got to go get a point guard because right now the only point guard they have in their roster for next year is Bruce Fortin, who might be their starting point guard next year. He's I mean, he's very highly regarded recruit, but you don't want your only point guard on the roster to be a true freshman. So uh, they got to go get a point guard in the transfer portal. I don't think there's any question about that. Like you, I'm not shocked that Michi left. But I, I think the one thing that stands out to me is I, I think back to a few years ago when I remember Chris Holtman talking about wanting to be like Jay Wright at Villanova and wanting to get old and, and stay old. And that's not what's happening here. I'm going to assume for the moment that neither Seth Towns or Harrison Hookman is going to be back next year. If that's the case, Ohio State would only have four returning players on its roster next year. So this is going to be a, a massive roster turnover from one year to the next. And maybe that's by design. I mean, I mean, I, I think in some risk, again, if we're talking about guys like Michi and, and, and Justin Arns, they might be able to go out and get better players in the transfer portal. Now they have to go do that still. They've gotten one Tanner Holden, but they've still got to go land two or three more big fish here if they're going to really round out this roster. Because, I mean, I think this team – for them to have a chance to be competitive next year, I think they still need a couple really high quality transfer additions right now, because I mean, if you just look at the roster, I mean, right now, I mean, again, I'm, I'm going to not include towns and hook right now because we haven't heard anything regarding whether they'd come back, but you know, they might not, if they don't right now, this team would have four. It, it, right now, this team would have four players who are not, Freshman, if you include Kalen Etzler as a freshman for redshirting last year, 
you'd have Justice Suing, Tanner Holden, Zed Key, and Eugene Brown. I mean, you've already lost an entire class if you assume Malachi Branham's gone with Malachi Branham and, and Michi Johnson. And so this is going to be a very freshman and transfer heavy roster next year, which I think for some Ohio State fans who hear that, and they're happy to see a lot of new talent coming in. And maybe, maybe from a talent standpoint, this will be an upgrade, but I think there's going to be some growing pains to come for Ohio State basketball next year because you're just don't, not going to have a lot of continuity from one year to the next. And I think they've really got to, they've really got to hit on a couple more big time transfer additions here. If they do that, then ultimately the roster movement, I'm not talking Liddell and Branham. You'd love to have Liddell and Branham back. It wasn't going to happen. I'm talking about guys who are transferring out. It might ultimately be a net positive if you have guys transfer out to open up spots for better players from the transfer portal. If that happens, then maybe it's all by design and that works out. But it just doesn't, it doesn't seem like this was supposed to be the plan, not the way Chris Holtman talked about building this program in his earlier years. This was not the plan. And so we'll see how it works out. I mean, we'll see how it works out. I mean, I'm not saying necessarily that it's a bad thing to have some significant turnover this year. You can build a very successful team in college basketball by going heavily in the transfer portal. And so if Ohio State can land quality players in the transfer portal that make the team better, great. But it's going to be interesting to see how it all comes together because it's just not the philosophy Chris Holtman had talked about. And maybe this is a change in philosophy. Maybe this is a a realization that we have to lean heavier on the transfer portal if we're going to have a chance to make these deep NCAA tournament runs that everybody wants. But I just don't know. I think right now, I can't even evaluate what this Ohio State basketball team is going to be next year until we see who else they get from the transfer portal because to me, they have to land at, at least two more high-quality transfers if they're going to have a roster with enough experience to, to really be able to contend next year. We should acknowledge that uh, Kansas State transfer guard, one of the top transfers in the nation, we've talked about him before in this program, Nigel Pack is actually currently visiting Ohio State, or at least on Tuesday he announced that he's in Columbus. Uh, Sean McNeil, another guy uh, from West Virginia, more of a two-guard though, I believe, it has a visit upcoming with Ohio State as well. Just two guys that Ohio State's been targeting in the transfer portal for a while. But Dan, kind of as we wrap up here, I know there's something that we might want to address a little bit because it's something we we hear a lot and uh, something that I think maybe gets on our nerves a little bit too. A silver sniper pointing out in the forum about a JT Tui Moluau, who clarified last year that he doesn't like being referred to as JTT because his name is Jalen Tui Moluau, so JT. So that's where the JT comes from. But of course, he's known as JT Tui Moluau, which is his name on the official roster, Dan which is why we continue to refer to him as such. If he's on the official roster and everything like that was Jalen Tuimoloau, I think we would probably write it differently. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I know this annoys you because I've seen you get multiple Twitter arguments about it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you look at Ohio state's official roster, they call him JT Tuimoloau. That That's how he's consistently referred to by the team. I mean, I don't know that I've ever heard anyone on the team call him Jalen. So everybody calls him JT. So as long as Ohio State keeps referring to him as JT Tuimoloau, I mean, his Twitter handle is JT Tuimoloau. You know, not, I know his Twitter display name is Jalen Tuimoloau, but his Twitter handle is JT Tuimoloau. So I, I think what happened here is I think he, he does, he, people are correct that he doesn't want to be called JTT. But he doesn't have a problem with being called JT Tuimolowal. So, again, un- until it's changed on the roster, we're going to call him JT Tuimolowal, as pretty much every outlet is calling him. Okay. If it's changed, like for example, we were calling Chip Trainum, we were calling him Diamante Trainum initially. We've now started calling him Chip Trainum because that's how his name is listed on the official roster. So if that's his preference, if that's what he wants to be called on the official roster, we'll call him the name that he's being called on the official roster. But as long as the official roster continues to say JT Tuimolowal, then we're going to continue to call him JT Tuimolowal 
And I'm probably not going to address this again on the podcast unless it actually changes. So you're saying we're not going to do an hour long episode about this later on then? No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I know the questions come up before and it'll probably come up again because I know people saw that interview of JT last year and they're convinced that the media has some agenda to call him by the wrong name, but no, we're just going off what the official roster said. That's all. That's always been our policy is we're going to go by what the, even when we're talking about stuff like whether there's initials in JT or CJ or whatever, my policy has always been, let's go with what Ohio state's official roster says. Cause obviously Ohio state is talking to these guys and asking them what they want to be listed as. So that's always been our policy is however they're listed on the official roster. That's the name we're going to use unless we are told otherwise. And I know there's some interpretations out there that JT has said he does not want to be called JT Tuimolawau, but that interview was last year and he's still called JT Tuimolawau on the official roster. So that's why we say his name is JT Tuimolawau. That's why we write it that way on the roster. If JT, if you're listening to this podcast and you want us to call you Jalen, then let us know and we'll start calling you Jalen. But until that happens, we're going to go by what the official roster says. And it may take another, like another mid-season interview where he's like, no, no, guys, I just haven't had this conversation with the athletics communication staff yet. And I want to be called Jalen. And at that point we will, but that hasn't happened yet. So I guess that's the question we should have been asking him after the spring game on Saturday. (laughs) Right, right, right. Since it continues to, since it continues to come up, but next time he is available, we'll have to make sure to clarify that forever for everybody out there. But anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Next week is NFL draft week. So we will look ahead to the NFL draft for all of the Buckeyes who will be in the draft. That's coming up just eight days from now. So we will preview that on next week's episode and talk about whatever other news may happen between now and then. So thank you for listening in and we'll talk to you next week.